Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase, get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I'm Nora Loretto, activist, writer, social media hack. Jesse Brown's away this week, and I'm joined by Sandy Hudson, political strategist, thinker. Oh, hey. Hey, Sandy. <laughs> Hey. And co-host of the podcast that I co-host with her. And that's how we start all of our episodes with a, hey, Sandy. Hey, Nora. So we're taking over Canada land this week. We are taking... It's now Sandy and Nora land. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Sandy and Nora land. Does this mean we're going to have two shows this week? We're going to have two shows this week. That is uh, a treat (laughs) for all of our listeners and new listeners. So I hope you like what you hear. And if you do, you can check us out at sandyandnora.com. Totally a treat. So what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to talk about Canada's own migrant detention situation and what happened to Lindsay Shepard. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Christine Clark, Ryan Morris, Brad Murray, Susan Free, Alex Karpov, Sultana Bennett, Tyler Irving, and Chris Fergella. My name is Chris Fergella, and I'm an airline pilot in Toronto. I support CanadaLand because I believe that a strong and accountable fourth estate is deeply important to our Canadian way of life. Jesse and his team do a fantastic job bringing stories to my podcast feed that I might not have a chance to seek out and give me a perspective that sometimes challenges my own. With the federal election approaching, I think that the work that they do will help maintain a higher level of public discourse in a time when we will need it. 
This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and the most exclusive content curated by and for Canadians. There are 17,000 classics available, and while I was browsing their catalog, I saw a book I haven't been able to finish, which is Robertson Davies' Fifth Business, and right below was Tanya Tagak's Split Tooth. For either of these or thousands of others, you should check it out. Start a 30-day trial and your first Audible book is free. Learn more at audible.ca slash Canada. That's audible.ca slash Canada. Sandy, this week, the big story coming out of the United States was racist Trump tweets and a <laughs> lot... <laughs> And a lot of people were saying that those tweets may have just been a distraction from the main issue at hand, which, of course, is how the United States is treating people in migration detention. I thought this week taking over Canada land would be an awesome opportunity for us to take the pulse of what is going on in Canada in our own migrant detention centers. And I know this is something that you and I have talked a little bit about before, um, although I'm not sure we've done a full episode on it. Yeah, I I mean, this is pretty frustrating also because I just want to say just this tiny thing on this topic, which is that, you know, it always seems like the stories about migrant injustice in Canada come up around the humps and valleys of whatever is happening in the United States. And that's a little mm. bit frustrating because, you know, we have our own issues with the way that migrants are treated in this country that have nothing to do with the American news cycle or whatever Trump is saying on any particular day. And so it is really important that people who are living here have an understanding of the way that our own uh, migrant injustice system or the way that migrant injustice plays out in these borders, uh, because I don't think we hear enough about it. Mm. I'm sure you saw the report this week uh, from City News where uh, Janella Massa reported that there were Canada Border Services agencies in a neighborhood in Toronto who were asking people to prove their citizenship. And when CBSA was called by City News, they confirmed that members of their staff, I guess, were in the neighborhood, but they refused to comment any further on it. And they said that they don't do random street checks. At the same time, a building contract was just decided for the new migrant detention facility in Laval, Quebec. So there's more than enough stories that could be reported on about what is going on with CBSA. And one of the things that I have found so fascinating and maybe frustrating is CBSA is the only security force in Canada that doesn't have civilian oversight. None whatsoever. And I don't think that I've seen journalists report that at all, let alone popularly report it. And there was a bill that was attached to the budget bill, the federal budget bill, to add the civilian oversight body of the RCMP to add CBSA to that. And it died in the Senate. In the in Senate. June. That's right. And this is something that uh, the Organization Justice for Migrant Workers, which is a grassroots organization that uh, works to further rights or protest the inhumane treatment of migrant workers, has been talking about. It is really strange because the only people you can complain to about CBSA is CBSA. And so, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't think that they're taking that as seriously as we would need them to take care of it in order to make changes at that level. 
Mm-hmm. Now, this week, the Canadian press also was able to report the results of a, an access to information request that they had put in a while ago. Earlier this year, CBSA agents were approved to militarize their uniforms further. And so they're going to be able to carry batons. They're going to be able to carry pepper spray. And the coverage that I saw actually referred to these batons as like defense batons. <laughs> I mean, talk about a bizarre journalistic flair to help make it sound as if CBSA officials need to be better protected. I mean, they're also wearing steel-toed boots. They're also wearing flak jackets. That news story is so bizarre because it doesn't really... I don't really understand what problem they're trying to address. They haven't put out any information about why this is necessary all of a sudden, but it is something that makes me nervous, especially since in the last, you know, in 2016, there's been an influx of migrants, especially from Haiti. And those migrants were, if you listen to Sandy and Nora, you'll know that they were housed in a detention, a makeshift detention center that was uh, created in Montreal. And there were a lot of children who were crossing the border, a lot of families, and these were black families. And they were treated quite differently than families who had crossed the border and sought asylum during other waves of people. And so it makes me really nervous about how those people will be treated if, you know, these these officers, well, they will be more militarized. Well, and you went to the border mm-hmm. to actually see what it looked like. Tell us about what you experienced while you were there. So this is in January of 2017, I believe, that we went. Uh, I went with the delegation from Black Lives Matter Toronto and uh, and a lawyer to go assist with some of the folks who were crossing the border at the time when the American government had announced that they would be ending a special program that allowed people, particularly Haitians who were in the United States after the devastating earthquake that happened earlier in this decade. So Trump announced that he was ending that program and that people were set to be deported. And so uh, people were were attempting to get into Canada because the infrastructure of Haiti certainly couldn't handle the amount of people that were set to be that were expected to be deported back to Haiti. And so uh, what this amounted to was literally the largest mass detention of people in Canada, although it didn't really get that much press. And. It was really bizarre. First of all, the CBSA was attempting to prevent us as activists, the lawyer, and also some journalists from getting anywhere near where people were crossing the border. They didn't want us to see what was happening. And what it looked like was a bunch of makeshift trailers and shipping containers, literally shipping containers, rows of shipping containers In the snow, freezing snow, it didn't look like there was any like heating or anything around those shipping containers. And they were separating children from their parents. And so the parents would go into the shipping containers and the children were going into a a Red Cross facility that was nearby the border. It was pretty terrifying. Uh, They threatened to detain us when we were trying to just you know, witness what was going on, make sure that people knew that there was a lawyer on site. They wouldn't let us get anywhere near. They threatened to detain us. And when we had, we called a journalist to come in and witness what was happening, same sort of situation. And so they ended up carting us all. They forced us to give them our information. 
which was, uh, you know, not something that they were allowed to do. As you know, you just mentioned that the CBSA is also doing like questioning of people on the streets of Toronto, which was a, a report that Janela Massa had done. And they're not allowed to do such things. They asked us the same sort of information, took our information, put it I don't know where. And, you know, it was pretty scary. It was a pretty scary uh, experience. So the Trudeau government, you know, they got elected in 2015 in part uh, thanks to their welcoming rhetoric that led to the resettlement of tens of thousands of Syrians in Canada, which was which is great. Um, but at the same time, they've promised since to strengthen the border, to pour lots of more money into the border, and to also increase deportations by between 25 and 35 percent. That was something they promised uh, back in November. So that plus the increasing militarization of CBSA agents and building new migrant holding facilities. I mean, what I'm now wondering is, are they setting up a system that they're going to hand to the conservatives in the next election to just make it even worse for immigrants and migrants and people seeking asylum in Canada? Because, I mean, we're less than 100 days from the election. They weren't even able to get civilian oversight of CBSA, in part thanks to a Senate that's stacked with their independent senators. <laughs> um, what do you think that this all means uh, for Canadians as we stare down that election and then eventually go through it? Oh, man. I mean, I, you know, not just Canadians, but people who are here, right? I, I don't think it bodes well for the future and how uh, this country will be treating migrant workers, you know, migrant workers, but also just migrants, asylum seekers and so on, immigrants in general. I think that so much of what passes as acceptable in the way that Canada deals with migrants is because of the fact that we don't know a lot about what's going on. So I think it's really, really important for us to ensure that we are aware that the media is reporting on this stuff and uh, that we don't allow this stuff to to continue in a shroud of darkness. The one thing that's like really frustrating about this new report of CBSA officers carting people, and let's be clear, it's like, you know, they're carting racialized people. It's They're not just walking around randomly carting folks or because they've gotten some sort of tip or whatever. They're carting racialized people. That's actually been going on for a really, really long time. I've known of people since my days in undergrad over a decade ago who experienced being carded by CBSA officers. So while this this report is new and is detailing something that is is not permissible, they should have a warrant to be able to talk to people. It's just one of the many ways that racialized people in this country live a different sort of life than white folks. It's time for Duly Noted, that segment of Shortcuts where we talk about a piece of news that we're not convinced is getting the attention that it requires. Sandy, I hear you have a Duly Noted for us. Oh my God, do I ever. Okay, so the Student Campus Initiative. Have you heard of this, listeners? I hope you have. You probably haven't because it hasn't gotten enough press. Essentially, uh, the Doug Ford government has imposed on Ontario colleges and universities that any campus group that currently gets some sort of funding from students collectively, so maybe it's the sexual assault center, maybe it's the student union, maybe it is the food bank, all of these things will all of a sudden uh, this year, starting this September, 
be optional fees for students rather than collective fees for students. And they say that they're doing this under the guise of free speech, freedom for students, making sure that students have the choice in what they fund. But they're being very specific about what is optional. And so sports, uh, mandatory fees that go to sports, students will still need to pay that. But fees that go to, say, the food bank or fees that go to a women's center or a sexual assault center, those fees, students will have the option when they're paying their tuition to say, I don't want to pay those fees. Now, it's important to note that those fees are already optional. Students have massive votes on campus to decide whether or not to fund a particular group on campus in referenda. But the real reason behind Doug Ford all of a sudden attacking these particular organizations that he's outlined is because they tend to be the organizations that push for social change, that advocate for students on campus, that are marginalized or having a really tough time in their experiences on campus. He's literally attempting to change the ability for students to have an impact on social policy that directly affects them and thus social policy of this province and this country in the future. And that is really shameful. It's a really dirty political trick. And I think that more people need to know about it. Duly noted. Sandy, my duly noted is a story I know that you've watched very closely Uh, It's the news that the man who murdered Eric Garner, a police officer, Daniel Pantaleo, will not be facing charges for having put Eric Garner into a chokehold and eventually killing him. This news has come out uh, recently. And uh, of course, people have been very quick to point out the unbelievable injustice, not only of that, but of the fact that Ramsey Orta, the man who filmed this uh, altercation and of course that helped to make it go as viral as it has, He remains in prison. Daniel Pantaleo comes from a family of police officers. His uncle was an NYPD officer, and he allegedly ordered two black men to strip naked on the street for a search in 2013. So this is a guy with a history of violence, of anti-black violence and anti-black racism, and he walks free. I think that Canadian media should be paying attention to what happens like this when this stuff happens in the United States, because there are a lot of parallels to how black and indigenous people are policed in this country. Duly fucking noted. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity And they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis. And we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This past week, everybody's favorite free speech left-wing activist, Lindsay Shepard, lost her Twitter account, suspended forever, indefinitely, who knows, over apparently comments that she made to an individual where she consistently misgendered them and said some pretty vile stuff. Uh, we're not going to repeat that stuff, so um, feel free to look it up if you've got uh, special eye-protecting glasses on. Lindsay Shepard is a product of, in a lot of ways, the Canadian media that uh, promoted her from day one as being a lowly TA who was harassed by a professor whose oppressive demand that she be less oppressive was just too much. And since she went and since she went viral and since she became someone, unfortunately, the beast has grown. And now Twitter has finally suspended her account. Sandy, what? <laughs> I know you wanted to talk about this so bad. What did I, you need to, what did you oh need to say? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just. OK, OK, OK. OK. So everybody, my day job is that I work at a union uh, representing a lot of TAs. And the types of uh, difficulty they go through on the job. This story from the, like everything that made Lindsay Shepard, Lindsay Shepard is so frustrating because like nothing incorrect or unjust happened to her at all. But it was reported as though it did. Like there's a professor who has a class and TAs that help that professor carry out that class. She's supposed to do what her supervisor tells her to do. This isn't an issue of <laughs> academic freedom or whatever. It wasn't her class. It was somebody else's class. And the person who was running that class asked her, you know, not to to show some bullshit from the other free speech advocate Canadian that everybody fucking loves to hate, uh, Jordan Peterson, right? And so... Uh, the fact that it, like, she's able to do what she's done just comes from lazy journalism because people wanted to, to make this into one of those millennial stories of, you know, millennials are snowflakes on campus who feel like they need to be protected and blah, blah, blah. That's not what's happening. She was a bad staff person. <laughs> That's, she did not do her job correctly. And so, you know, I'm out here raising the glass to the end of her fucking Twitter train or until she, you know, comes up with some other fucking account, which yeah. is I'm sure what will happen. But, you know, she's just not. She is undeserving of all, all of the the titles that have been bestowed upon her, such as free speech activist. 
the fuck out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> I love that you started off by talking about the union and all of this, because that was one thing that did get lost in this entire discussion, which was that she actually had no union protection because TAs at Laurier have consistently rejected uh, a union. <laughs> so, yeah. well. I mean... <laughs> That that could have been the story that folks told. But yeah, instead, uh, she became this activist for I can't even say it because it doesn't make any sense. This it doesn't activist for free, free speech. So the, the Canadian media, I think, has a lot of blame in all of this. She, from the beginning, was created as if uh, was this innocent, well-meaning teaching assistant who got crushed by the authoritative hand of her boss rather than as you described, which is just that she was bad at her job. And somehow she became an internationally recognized activist for I'm not sure exactly what other than maybe like we can say it's like the intellectual dark web or the, (laughs) the far right, the passable face of the far right that won't get you kicked out of coffee shops necessarily, but you can still post online how there's too many children in Ontario being born whose name is Muhammad. I mean, like the fact that she is popular exposes what in your mind about the Canadian media establishment? Oh, that it's just it just continues to uphold white supremacy. Like if we I just, you know, there was so much going on on campuses at that time because of Jordan Peterson. And I think that people wanted to have like a a story perhaps about how some of the things that Jordan Peterson was saying maybe maybe had some some weight behind it. And Lindsay Shepard was a, a convenient figure to emerge at around that same similar time. But if there had been more people who were producing news that had a fuller understanding of what was happening on campuses at that time, from people trying to fight back against uh, transphobia, black students on campus uh, forcing discussions about how anti-blackness was uh, hindering their ability to learn on campus, they would understand that that is where Jordan Peterson emerged from, not from mm-hmm. someone trying to to change the contents of his courses like he claimed. And similarly for, for Lindsay Shepard, no one was trying to do those things. People were saying, hey, I'm having a difficult experience at school and the school could change this by focusing on how anti-blackness rears its head on campus and how transphobia rears its head on campus. And the, the fact that the media missed it missed the opportunity for that, the true story to be revealed, just shows how the media reproduces white supremacist content, transphobic content all the time. And it's just, it seems like for so many of us who are critical media watchers, so obvious that that's what was happening. But of course, we don't really have the handle in the mass media to be able to reveal it in a mass way. And that's extremely frustrating. It's been so fascinating to me how, in retrospect, Jordan Peterson was so clever to use transphobia to build the career that he ended up building for himself. And I also think that that's where uh, you see the media have no real ability to talk about this stuff and, and continues to fall flat on on explaining how transphobia became like his launching pad. And a lot of people, a lot of the left missed this as well. Trans activists uh, were definitely not missing it. At the time that Jordan Peterson was making a name for himself uh, nationally, it was by decrying adding gender identity to the Canadian Human Rights Code and gender expression. And he made this about being compelled to use people's pronouns. 
And so fast forward a couple years later and we have Lindsay Shepard, who's like only reason to exist, apparently, is to misgender and harass and be shitty towards trans people on Twitter. It's like, first of all, being shitty towards trans people on Twitter is like something that like everyone on the right does. The right wingers are so fucking bad and transphobic and harassy towards people who are trans or perceived to be trans on Twitter. And Lindsay Shepard just found that niche and went with it. And boom, finally, Twitter has taken action. I suspect she'll be back under that name soon enough. I don't imagine that this suspension will last forever. But every single media pundit, academic, politician that went to bat for Lindsay Shepard or that carried water for Lindsay Shepard at the moment of her whole TA situation, they need to apologize. And they need some sort of mea culpa because it was very clear to anybody who knew anything back then what was happening, anything about the university sector. And this is destructive. I mean, it's helped to feed the virulent transphobia that plagues online spaces and uh, people need to be held to account. The one last thing I'd have to say on this is like, okay, Yay that Twitter got rid of her. Like, let's, you know, celebrate that or whatever. But there's a real danger in the way that the alt-right has been able to manipulate social media platforms. And this kind of uh, one-off when they get so, 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 so bad, uh, getting rid of them isn't going to be the solution. And there's got to be a better way to approach this type of stuff. It's really dangerous. The type of uh, cyber like attacks that people um, who are from particular backgrounds or who say particular things uh, experience. And now that's an attack on free speech, I'd say, not whatever the fuck that Lindsay Shepard has been heralding. And it's just something that we all need to really think about. How are we going to solve these problems? Yeah, especially because we all know that Twitter doles this stuff out pretty equally to left and right. I mean, There was uh, a young climate activist in Sudbury who this week also said her account was shut down by Twitter. Twitter is is not an ideal location for us to expect harassment free from the platform and experience. I mean, the platform shuts down lots of different speech all the time. Like I've been suspended several times for stuff that is objectively not violent or hateful. And so we I think anybody that's on social media has to be very aware of the limits of of using social media and the limits placed on us by stepping out of line and you might find yourself very quickly uh, removed from the platform. So, I mean, I'm I celebrate any time that Lindsay Shepard's got a harder time getting to her audience, but I'm not entirely celebrating shutting down her Twitter account because it's, again, helped to make this into an issue. But journalists, man, you guys have got to get this better And you have got to understand the forces behind what is seemingly random and average people getting in bed with Jordan Peterson. I mean, nothing was random and average about the Lindsay Shepard stuff from day one. And it was obvious. That's your Canterland Shortcuts. I'm Nora Loretto. Jesse Brown will be back next week. And thanks to the whole Canada Land crew for inviting us to take over the airwaves for a week. You can find me on Twitter at NoLore. Sandy, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sandela. That's S-A-N-D-E-L-A. And you can also find us both at SandyAndNora.com, where we host our own podcast. 
Canadaland's website is canadalandshow.com. This episode was produced by David Crosby. Canadaland's managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what Canadaland does, please support them on Patreon at patreon.com slash Canadaland. 